You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi there and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and before we launch into today's episode, I'd just like to mention some excellent feedback we've had from our listener, our first ever listener email. It's from Dr. Martina Gleeson, who's the clinical lead in general practice at the Southeast Sydney Health Pathways. Martina very sensibly pointed out that Shut-Eye, which I covered quite a bit on, is actually no longer available. It's been closed off for a clinic trial. She also mentioned that there's a number of good resources that were on the podcast and it was hard to keep a track of them all. Well, if I can just mention one that links to a heap of other and that was Beacon 2.0. So Beacon 2.0 is a website run by the Australian National University and links to multiple other resources on the internet uh, to do with e-mental health. And the one that it recommends most highly alongside Shut-Eye is one called Sleepio. That's www.sleepio.com. So I hope you all find that useful. And a quick reminder that if you want to email us, our email address is thegoodgp, or one word, at gmail.com, and we look forward to hearing from you. And today we're interviewing Professor Justin Bilby from Torrens University, where he's Vice-Chancellor. He was previously at the University of Adelaide, where he was Executive Dean of Health Sciences, and prior to that was Professor and Head of the Department of General Practice. Justin still maintains touch with the coalface as a practicing general practitioner and has a clinical and research interest in emerging technologies in general practice and wrote an article for the August edition of the Australian Journal of General Practice entitled Workforce Innovation, Embracing Emerging Technologies. Hello, Justin, and welcome. Hi, Sean. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. So, Justin, you've had a long and distinguished medical and academic career, What is it that has triggered your interest in emerging technologies in GP? As Vice-Chancellor of a university, I've had the privilege of working with some incredibly creative people. One of my recent experiences with our academic and student teams was to do a complete virtual reality education journey around the Kokoda Trail. In 40 minutes, I actually understood the whole background of this pivotal event in Australian history, and it began me thinking through where's virtual reality in our clinical day-to-day life. A couple of other things that sort of contributed to this journey was I was involved with at an aged care conference was looking at the value of the IBM Watson as artificial intelligence tool, which I'll talk about later on the podcast, and it's absolute potential to personalise our care when we work as GPs. Then finally, one of the things that I've done for 20 or 30 years with research is to work with GP medical records. Some fantastic work, quite innovative policy work, clinical practice work. And I've always wanted to try and make sure we use the data we gather. And if we think about it, almost 70% of our lives are spent on the computer. And we need to use that information to drive that personalised care in our day-to-day practice. So they're the three areas that sort of got me thinking about this article that I recently wrote. Great. Thank you. So in your article, you focused on virtual reality, or VR, and artificial intelligence, or AI. Can you please give our listeners a short definition of each? So virtual reality refers to the interactions between an individual and a computer-generated environment stimulating multiple sensory modalities, including visual, auditory, and haptic experiences. So that's VR. Artificial intelligence is an area of computer science that mimics human thought processes, learning processes, and knowledge storage. It uses natural language to process and map and collate complex medical records and correlate this information with published literature. And there's a number of techniques which are in the article, such as machine learning, deep learning, or cognitive computing. 
But the beauty of AI, artificial intelligence with its natural language is it collates both written material and data from multiple sources and can actually give you a very nice summary of the information that personalised to that patient. Okay, so basically a GP at the top of their game, incorporating everything and sort of operating in the background there. Correct. So basically, if you get, and I'll perhaps I'll give you an example, Sean, if you don't mind. Go for it. So the complexity of what we have to deal in general practice with type 2 diabetes, with multimorbidities and multiple medications and multiple specialist reports. If you look at where this is going, AI in particular will be able to collate all that information draw together the current uh, significant clinical tests, clinical guidelines, what the tests have come back, what their cholesterol and their glycate and hemoglobin is up to, but also pick up some of the information in the notes and put that into a package or information summary of where you are with that patient with diabetes. So for example, a new patient comes in who's just moved to your town or moved to somewhere in, in your practice, and then you look at their cholesterol and it's mildly elevated which cholesterol do you choose? Do they fit into the guidelines? And do I actually allow myself to put this one on a new lipid lowering agent? And it moves you to the point that I think is fantastic. It moves past this one size fits all into what I think is the future of general practice care, which is the personalized medicine. We all do that on a day-to-day basis in a qualitative, in our in our clinical interaction, but to have the ability to summarize all the information very quickly at a fingertip as your patient comes into the room is something that is, I think, incredibly exciting. Yeah, it sounds really valuable because I must admit, you get those patients and they're not even new patients. Often it's your patients you've known for ages and they've got so much going on. You just lose the wood for the trees. Very much so. And I think the bit that in my clinical practice, which is mostly older patients now, you just think, have I forgotten something? Have I missed their medications? Have they changed it when the recent visit to the cardiologist or to the endocrinologist? To be able to summarize it in that complexity to allow you to do your efficient personalized care has got so much potential in general practice, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And particularly as the population's aging and there's increased chronic disease. So how far away is this technology from hitting the coalface? Yeah, a lot of it's research at the moment, really exciting research, and there's real momentum. There's things like institutes of machine learning popping up everywhere. Probably a couple of points. IBM Watson's the one that's probably most well-known worldwide. If you were to look at IBM Watson on the uh, Googling it, they've got practices in the US that are now using it in day-to-day practice. So they're building a platform that's actually so close now. And if you and I was just pre- preparing this podcast, I had a look at some of the quotes from the primary care clinicians and they really like it. It's around quality. It's around information at our fingertips as GPs. So it is rapidly coming to us as GPs. Wow. And the bit that I think is important and I want to pick up is if you get a chance to be involved as a GP, get involved. It's interesting. I was just, again, looking at some guidelines from the United Kingdom, from some of the colleges. And they're really saying what we need to do with this technology is to get the researchers to tackle the problems that matter to us. Make sure we as GPs appraise the technology and then make sure we get the regulators, the College of GPs, the education programs to stay abreast of the changes because it's got the ability to be ahead of regulations. Right. That's where we have to get involved, Sean. We have to be part of the discussions as GPs to make sure it's relevant to our daily clinical lives. Absolutely. And you'll always have early adopters. If we can encourage more and more of us to be early adopters, then we can, as you say, shape this agenda rather than being reactive to it. And I think that's the bit I, and again, the reason why I sat down and wrote the article and I had a real focus on our educational programs. And I wanted to make sure that we create space in our education curriculum, but space in our, what we're doing in our day-to-day professional development, that we talk about this and debate this and take control of the agenda. Mm. 
Okay, it's fantastic. It's really exciting. Very positive innovations. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm excited about this stuff too. I really would love to have a go at it and use it. And I, I can see how extremely valuable it would be for improving patient care. Now, one of the other examples you used was technology like decision-assisted retinal scans. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Look, I think that's probably one part of it that's, that, that goes past the information at a personalised level. It's using artificial intelligence to look at millions of retinal scans to clarify for signs or algorithms or pathways for what might be early diagnosis for things like age rays and macular degeneration. The ability of AI and the tools they have to look at huge data sets to actually allow you to define what's the early signs of macular degeneration. Or the other one that's probably most interesting for me is, is skin lesions. Mm. Looking at hundreds of skin lesions or even radiography, looking at x-rays where you can use AI tools to define this bone, this x-ray doesn't show fractures or this lesion on your skin is beginning to look dangerous. So there's a pathway from there. So I think that ability to look at large data sets very, very quickly is, is what I think is very exciting about AI if we go past the patient data. Mm. Yeah, I remember reading at one stage that now AI algorithms for digital scans like CTs are actually better. Uh, they make less mistakes than experienced human radiologists. And spot on. And in fact, the evidence together, if you look at the evidence, and as again, when I go back to write the article, is that their evidence is now that they, the AI tools are better than human. So the issue, they're just so many more samples to look at, so many more information to, uh, to summarise and draw together. So it's, it's, but we have to not let that information or be scared by it. We actually have to embrace it with our clinical practice and use it to help us deliver better care. Mm, mm. Yeah, good points. So what about VR technology? This appears to have multiple applications. Can you run through a few of those, please? Yeah, I think this is really fascinating. Uh, look, there's some clear evidence now for VR can help with attention deficit disorders, social anxiety, cerebral palsy, some evidence around pain management, eating disorders, rehabilitation for strokes and Parkinson's disease. So I think that's really opening up as a fascinating space for us as GPs to refer to, to manage our complex patients and look at non-medical interventions in a way that's really positive. But I think the other thing for me as a, as a teacher and educator, the role of VR tools in human anatomy, irritable bowel, surgical training is just endless now. And having had the experience with Kokoda, you can live and breathe it without any risk to anybody, but it's fantastic educational technique in a short, sharp period of time, which I think is something we'll, we'll pull on more and more, draw on more and more. Fantastic. Um, so as a GP, how do we adjust our future practice? And importantly, how do we train future registrars to use and embrace technology such as this? I think that's a little bit more, we need to think that through. So I'll answer two questions, I think. One's the practice level. I think we as GPs get a chance to be involved with some of these early clinical trials, these research studies. We need to make sure that these trials are relevant to us in clinical practice. So if you as a GP get approached to be part of these research studies, then very much need to be part of that. The second part of it is we need to make sure the evidence is really solid, that it actually does improve clinical practice. It's not just a research idea that's got its own day. And thirdly, I think what we have to do with our registrar training program, which is a part of the things we have to do is create space in our crowded curricula within the College of GPs, and they have done this already, where you can introduce new, innovative, rapidly moving innovations for general practice and allow people to actually set the tone that says this is coming and by the time you get into practice in five years' time, it'll be part of your day-to-day -day life. So it's moving to a flexible technology space in the curriculum, whether you be ACRAM or RSCGP, to fit them in, let people talk are really part of it, and just a little bit of dreaming and future thinking, which I think is important for our registrars. Yeah, definitely. So 
our podcast tends to attract a lot of early adopters. Mm. If people want to get involved in these trials and, and studies that you mentioned, how can they go about doing that? Uh, look, I think that's probably something that I can find. I don't have a list in front of me, but if they were to email me, and I don't mind my email going out, I'm happy to follow it through and find the right people in the different states, wherever they are. That'd be a pleasure, Sean. Not a problem at all. Okay. Well, fantastic. You can put my name down to begin with. <laughs> pleasure, Sean. And thank you very much. Very enjoyable conversation. Okay. Thanks, Justin. Really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. And I look forward to catching up with you at one of the future conferences. Thank you. And just a quick reminder to all of our listeners, don't forget our email address is thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Justin. It's a pleasure, Sean. 